0: Okay. <laughs> hey, gee, do we have some jokes? Oh, sure. Let's do the, Let's do three. Do the dog one. I like the dog one. Or did you do new ones? Because I took yours to the... Uh, the
1: dog dog or it's, it's weird. I'm sorry, I have things.
0: Where you left them.
1: What do you call a dog with no legs? Or where do you... Is that it? Eugene, so you're messing with that. I don't know. I can't remember it. Where
0: where will you find uh,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> a dog with no legs? Where you left them. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my boss told me to have a good day. So I went home. Oh, yeah, I like it. Uh, oh my goodness. Why do skeletons... Uh, Why don't skeletons ever go trick-or-treating? They're embarrassed. Because they don't have no body to go with. (laughs) (laughs) Why do seagulls fly over the sea? Oh no. If they flew over the bay, they'd be bagels.
0: (laughs) That's good. What do you dig for
1: those
0: at? It was funny at the fast 45 I said I have legitimate dad jokes from my father-in-law mm-hmm. written in his own hands <laughs> <laughs> okay. all right let's um let's get to 2nd uh, Kings oops close my notes 1 through 6 it's actually a pretty short uh, I think it's only what three pages or something oh maybe a little bit longer but most of it's scripture And we're uh, in Hezekiah now it's been a couple weeks but if I'm not mistaken which we had your papers back there probably um but Hezekiah joined forces with Egypt and Babylon right is that what we learned last time to go after or to put up a resistance to Assyria because Assyria at this point had taken over all of Israel so Israel no longer exists as a nation and now Uh, there's a new king in Assyria that, like most rulers, they wait until there's a shift, you know, a change of the guard, and then they will attack or refuse to pay tribute or whatever it is to that new king. So that's what's going on. So Hezekiah um, sees that there's a new king in Assyria, and so he refuses to pay tribute, and it took ten years before, and I think it was Sennacherib or Sennacherib, whatever his name is, I think it, that's the one. It took him 10 years to get to him because he had other uh, things going on. And then the Lord, I believe, killed 180,000 of the Assyrian army, and then the king went off back home because of a rumor. And then he died 20 years later. I think his own kids killed him. So that's kind of a recap from a couple weeks ago. So we're now past the crisis point and uh, we've got in verses 1-6 through 6 in Second Kings 20 in those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death and Isaiah the prophet the son of Amos came to him and said thus says the Lord set your house in order for you shall die you will not recover then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and I'm assuming it's to the temple's wall because if I'm not mistaken, the his house was like right there, right? Like the king's palace was right by the temple and the wall. And for years I thought he just turned to a wall. No, he turned to the temple's wall. Yeah. Yeah. And prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and I've done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly, and before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him and said, Turn back, and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you will go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Uh, Now, real quick, um, the word sick here means to be weak, sick, or to be a patient. It also indicates being diseased in some body part, and here it means to be sick unto death. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think I would want a prophetic word telling me, yeah, you better set your house in order, get your will done, you know, make sure everybody knows where everything's going because you're going to die, right? Like that, that's not a very encouraging prophetic word. But Hezekiah, where it says he cried bitterly, he uh, began to wail. So he wasn't simply crying, he was wailing at probably the welling wall. You know, they call it the welling wall. And, uh, and also, I thought it was interesting, he reminds the Lord of his faithfulness. And he was one of either the first king or one of two kings so far that actually got rid of the high places. None of the other kings did that. <laughs> Hezekiah did. So he was just a really good king. And the Lord heard his prayer and gave him 15 more years. But what I like and the reason I stopped at six is how the Lord healed him. Because in verse 7, so he's got the prophetic word, right? So first he gets a prophetic word, you're going to die. Then he prays and wells before the Lord. And then Isaiah delivers another prophetic word that the Lord will heal him. And on the third day, he will be at the house of the Lord. So you would think that would be it. But in verse 7, it says, Isaiah said, Bring a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. Wait a minute isn't the prophetic word enough well maybe in some instances but in this instance there was an added step of apply a poultice i love that because you've got camps right so you have those that know jesus christ has healed already it's past tense according to what first or second peter 2 24 okay they know that so you shouldn't do anything outside of pray You shouldn't do anything outside of receiving your healing. Then you have others that they don't believe God heals at all, and so the first step they do is they go to a doctor, right? Well, here we've got Dr. Isaiah. And he's saying, not only are you healed, but also apply a poultice. That's why you can never put God in a box. You have got to hear what he is saying, because what if your answer isn't a vitamin? Like, remember when I kept getting sick? And I'm like, why am I getting sick? This is ridiculous. And uh, my diet was still good and clean. I still exercised. I was getting plenty of rest, but I kept getting colds and flus. And I'm like, Lord, what is this? I know Jesus has healed me. I don't understand why I keep getting these colds and viruses. I even had a, well, you don't want the details. But anyway, and the Lord said, well, you used to spend more time outside you're not taking enough vitamin D. (gasps) Vitamin D! And then another time, my hips were hurting. Like, you know the inside, that sharp, achy pain, and my knees were starting to hurt, and my lower back was hurting, and I'm like, what on earth? And it was to the point, for the first time, let's see, that was when we were still at at 10th Street, so that would have been uh, over three years ago, um, where I didn't even want to train, and I love training. But it was hurting too much, so again, I'm you know I'm releasing healing, I'm you know, reading scripture, I'm doing everything I need to do. Finally, the Lord said, Well, you used to eat a whole bunch of spinach. You might want to look at what vitamin is in spinach. Now he could have just told me, but part of it is the pursuit, right? So I look at up magnesium. I was I was low on magnesium. So I bought magnesium vitamins and that took care of that. So all that to say, don't dismiss natural, practical wisdom. Why do you think God put all these vitamins and herbs and things in the earth, right? They're for our benefit. But at the same time, don't rely on anything or anyone but God to heal you. Whether that is a word of wisdom or that's an instant miracle or it's a progressive healing, it doesn't matter. Allow him to be your doctor even if he says, go to a doctor. You know, it's like my friend where she had that, grapefruit size, you know, uh, fibroid tumor, and every time she tried to make, well, first of all, she gave God, gave God two years to heal her, and then if he didn't heal her by October, she's going to have surgery, so once I realized semantics is everything, and you have to know that he's already healed you, and your confession must line up with that, once, you know, that became clear, I was like, well, you are not going to be healed at all, because what do you mean you're giving God two years to heal you? He already did. So the whole preface was incorrect, right? But once she started making the surgery, she had scheduled surgery three times and it kept getting canceled. Weird stuff. And she's like, I don't get it. It's like, Brian, we can schedule him knee surgery and he's in like two weeks. Me, I can't get in for six months. I said, because you're not supposed to have surgery. And uh, so once I told her about You are already healed. Don't put it into the future. She laid hands on herself. It disappeared. Then we saw a miracle, right? So she wasn't supposed to go to a doctor. So it really just depends on your circumstance, what God wants to do in that uh, situation. Same thing with Mary Alice. Remember she had like a clogged uh, artery, carotid artery. They go in there to do the surgery. It's completely clean. And they're like, what is going on? And so she's excited. The doctor's excited. You know, I mean, you just never know how God wants to do it. But what was fascinating is she was already on the table for them to pin in whatever it is they do. And they're like, your artery's not bad. Who made the mistake? You know? Mm -hmm. And then they're looking at everything. They're like, well, no. Did they get switched? Wait a minute. And then they realized she had been healed. And actually the doctor said it was a miracle. So again, if you need a healing in your body, or you need a miracle in your body, ask Holy Spirit what to do. Just do the steps that you think that you're supposed to do. Ask for wisdom. Release healing into your body. And then just wait and see what He does as far as direction, because you're already healed. So I really like this. And that word cake, you know, wasn't like the cakes we get at Albertsons. is delicious, you know, gluten-free ones. Uh, it refers to a lump of, pressed figs, either round or brick-shaped, that were used for food, and also they would apply them to skin eruptions, and I remember years ago looking up what all was in figs. It's amazing. They're highly antioxidant, tons of, like, vitamin C. Uh, It's used here uh, to describe applying it to the boil. They are not sure if it was the fig itself or the leaves, but I do find it kind of interesting that the first clothing were figs. But here's a a tidbit about uh, figs. They're a powerhouse of antioxidants and they neutralize the free radicals in your body and fight disease. The riper a fig, the more antioxidants it contains. Figs are a rich source also of phenolic antioxidants. Uh, The antioxidants in figs enrich the lipoproteins and plasma and shield them from oxidation. Regularly consuming polyphenols is thought to boost digestion and brain health, as well as protect against heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and certain cancers. Red wine, dark chocolate, tea, and berries are some of the best-known sources, yet many other foods also offer significant amounts of these compounds. So there is definite an antioxidant situation going on here. And then the word boil, it's, quote, a serious skin disease and irritation with festering sores. So I'm wondering if maybe he had skin cancer or maybe he'd gotten a wound and then gangrene had set in. Uh, I don't know, but we do know that whatever the boil was, cause it's called a boil and he probably had all those sores, it was now killing him. And maybe he was going septic, you know, we don't know, but he was instructed to put a boil of figs, which I love that. Okay. Now, in verses 8 through 11, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, This shall be a sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the things that he has promised. Shall the uh, shadow go forward ten steps, or go back ten steps? Hezekiah answered, Well, it's an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps, rather let the shadow go back 10 steps, and Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back 10 steps by which it had gone down the steps of Ahaz. He turned back time. And I don't, I, years ago I read that is it 30 minutes of time that scientists can't account for? I think it might be 30 minutes that they cannot account for, and uh, it would equal this but also Joshua remember the sun stood still so they could finish their fighting so scientists have discovered there's this mystery amount of time and the Bible has the answer so and I like that God didn't rebuke Hezekiah for a sign because again I think there can be doctrine that can make people feel bad for asking God for a sign because you know the religious leaders would always do that it's not that he didn't believe him, he just was in a vulnerable state. So it's kind of like a bruised reed he won't crush. Hezekiah is dying, you know? And so he's like, "Okay, sure, but can I have a sign?" <laughs> and the Lord's like, "Absolutely." Now, there may be other times where he's like, "I'm not giving you a sign." You have sometimes I find this comical. When Moses asked him for a sign he said the sign will be that after you've done what I said, you will come back to this mountain. <laughs> so there's no sign until after you've completed it, right? You'd see that several times where he'd be like, well, once you've done what I've asked, the sign will be this. But in this case, he was so generous and so kind to him that he turned back time. Isn't there a share song? Turn back
1: time.
0: Oh, if I, I think could turn my well, Cher, you're not Jesus, so yeah, you, you can't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do what? I think there's a whole day. Ms. Is it a <clears> day? Yeah, 24-hour period. <clears throat>
0: hmm. Might be a 24-hour. That's how long Joshua and them fought. I didn't know it was a full 24-hour. It might be. I'd have to look it up. Trust but verify. That's what Hezekiah was doing. Trusting but verifying. I
1: have a question. Yeah. Which had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. Mm Mm-hmm. So, when I thought, I don't know if I found this in my notes, that it might have been a... Back then, they didn't have what we have as clocks and everything. They had sundials.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it was a sundial. Like, to me, is that part of the, the steps of either the palace or the temple
1: but they could, see, they the could see the going this way and the shadow went this way yep so and then it went came, back came back up like the sun literally literally turned back physically to this mm-hmm. in the time of day yep so some people had not seen that yeah like,
0: well like that? you're onto something which we'll we'll see in a okay. second because this is really interesting exactly because if the sun goes back it affects everybody the whole world, it's not just, it's just one, like that one spot, in spot the right? Well, I world. mean, if it's nighttime, you know, you probably wouldn't notice. Yeah, but, it's gonna, it will future. but you might be like, shouldn't the sun be up by now? You know, like you might wonder where is the sun or it
1: why is also, it up so early? I'm also, not sure, I'm not a scientist, on how that works. Here comes the sun. Oh, this was
0: huge. Everything went backwards yeah, the whole universe,
1: Recreate
0: an entire future. Yep, absolutely.
1: It's way past like
0: even the moon. The moon had to adjust itself. It's
1: past as a now. It's way past as it's,
0: as Yeah, it's, it's incredible. But we'll, we're going to get to that. Um, but let's read Isaiah. So I want to go over to Isaiah 38, chapter, uh, chapter 38, verses 9 through 20. And this is uh, Isaiah telling his uh, story. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. Oh, so I guess this is him repeating what Hezekiah wrote. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years, which is hell. Now remember, Sheol was a place of the dead, so he wasn't necessarily going to where the wicked were uh, located. He was going to Abraham's bosom, which now is no longer in Sheol because when we die, we are in the presence of the Lord. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calm myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O restore to me my health, or restore me to health, and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love, You have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. And then it says, Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the bowl, oil that he may recover. So he wrote this song. He wrote his experiences, which you can see that he's talking about his distress, which was very uh, popular back in that time. David would do that, too. He'd write of his distress. But they would always go back to the faithfulness of God, praising him and thanking him for his deliverance. So he worshiped. That's what he did. And uh, I like that. Okay, now to the whole sun going back thing. All right, here. So here's the deal. Hezekiah has an extraordinary miracle, not just in his body, but with the sun going back. He's been added 15 years, which I don't know if I would want to know how many years were added, because then you'd be like, oh, I only got two no. days left. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <No. laughs> you know. No. <laughs> right. But uh, you. The time after your greatest victory is when you have to be most careful. Okay? So, here is what is very, very interesting in uh, 2 Kings 12 through 15. And at that time, Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters um, and a, a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick. Now, remember, they're friends. They're friendly nations. And Hezekiah welcomed them And he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King uh, King Hezekiah and said, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, Well, they've come from a far country, from Babylon, Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah said, they've seen all that is in my house. There's nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Man, I I, you know, I know I'm a deep personality, but even for someone that maybe is more trusting, that just seems awfully dumb. You know, it's like, why would you show another country all that you have? Because to me, they're gonna want it. You know, I mean, I, it's a weird deal. And not only that, but Babylon is becoming, like, already they have a treaty, but Babylon is becoming a, a known nation. And we know, Hezekiah didn't know, but they were going to be the next one, right? They were going to be the very nation to take Judah. So it just seems kind of weird. I have a thought on that. Okay.
1: Everything that happened to him, he's not going to forget. He's not going to forget what Isaiah said to him. He's not going to forget fifteen because he, mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. he knows this is really, really seriously real. real right. he got healed well he knows these people have a potential to become an enemy because these agreements never did last anyway yeah, even just now. in the region yeah. they don't last now so maybe he's going not 15 years I can only enjoy this after that who gets it, who knows, who cares well I don't care anyway I got 15 years of live, so I'll just show him what I got. I well, and he definitely care, so. didn't
0: care about the future, no. which we'll see. Uh, it may have been in Second Chronicles, and again, Second Chronicles is like the behind the scenes. It kind of gives us a little more detail, including the whole sun bill. So in Second Chronicles 32 through 24, actually let's um, let's go back to 20. Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amaz, <coughs> prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent the angel who cut off the mighty warriors and uh, commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame to face, a shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. Now that's what I was telling you guys about. The Assyria, God delivered them from the Assyrians. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from all the hands of his enemies, and he provided for them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord, to Jerusalem, and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations from that time forward, okay? In those days, so during this time frame, remember the prophetic word of the Lord is, I will also deliver you from Assyria. So it appears that in that time frame of the threat of Assyria, Hezekiah gets sick. Okay? So in those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death, and he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him, and he gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries for silver, gold, precious stones, spices, shields, and all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. He likewise provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. The same Hezekiah closed the upper outlet of the waters of Gion and directed them down to the west side of the city of David, and Hezekiah prospered in all his manner of works, or in all his works. And so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon who had been sent him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. So we have where it appears the author of Chronicles is tying the boil to pride of heart. Right, Which we know sin can definitely open the door to sickness, not always. And again, you have people that if you have any sickness, you must have sinned. It's ridiculous. But there are times, in fact, Jesus told the whiner that he needed to quit sinning or something worse was going to come upon you. Remember, he's the one that couldn't get in the pool. And the Lord goes up to him, do you really want to be healed? And he's me. And so then the Lord, you know, releases his healing, and then he says, Stop sinning so nothing worse comes upon you. And then when the religi- religious, religious leaders came, he ratted him out. Okay, so we know that that's definitely the case. Here, he definitely was sick because of his pride of heart. What I find interesting is the Babylonians came to inquire of the sign. So they knew the sign did something weird, right? And they're like, what is going on? So rumor, you know, obviously, you know, the word got to the Babylons that, oh, the Lord turned back time for Hezekiah.
1: One of their gods was a sun god. That's true. So Murdoch, god,
0: wasn't it? Murdoch, they, I think, was a sun god. wondering, what did we miss? <laughs> right? Our sun god has never turned back in the sun, you know what I'm saying? So they go to inquire about the sign, and what does Hezekiah do? glorify himself. Okay? That's what happened. Now, the whole thing, let me let me go back um, verse 31. So in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign, God left him to himself. Now, what does that mean? That means the manifest presence of the Lord lifted. Okay, so, a lot of times, you know, we might be going through life, and all of a sudden we feel like, where are you? You actually don't need to be asking, where are you? Because he says he never leaves you. Your ability to feel the manifest presence, though, however, might be lifted. The question should be, where's the test? You know, look around. Don't ask, where did he go? That's the wrong question. Ask, okay, <laughs> obviously there's a test happening here. I need to know what that is. And so begin to look, where where are anything, especially things you thought you overcame? Because did you notice that? He got sick because of the pride of his heart. He gets healed and probably thinks, oh, I'm over pride. You know, I've, I've been healed, I'm over that. And then when they come to inquire about what God did, he then exalts himself because he's getting all this exaltation with other nations too. So what is it that is your Achilles heel? Because that's probably where you're being tested. So if you don't feel God, you know, and again, it could be, you know, offense or anything like that, and that may be what's going on. But I would be asking, okay, what test do I need to pass? Because obviously I need to know something in my heart. So don't don't ask God, where did you go? Ask, what is going on? What test do I need to uh, pass? Or maybe something is coming up that you want to deal with and embrace that. It's like yesterday at the Bible say I told them, The Welsh Revival, the way it got started, and this is one of the most incredible revivals which actually came over to America. So the Welsh Revival broke out and then in Kansas, um, uh, it might have been William uh, Durham or John, no, that's Durham's the prosecutor, anyway, what was his name? Um, He mentored William Seymour who started the Azusa Street Revival. Uh, Back then there was segregation, and Kansas was very racist. So uh, Seymour would sit outside the door and listen to what this teacher taught. But what drew Seymour to him is that they had heard what had happened over in Wells, and they wanted the same thing. So at 1201 on 1901, the Holy Spirit fell, just like in the book of Acts, uh, uh, upon this man and some of his disciples in, in a literal upper room. And they spoke in tongues because they didn't know they're supposed to be speaking in tongues. You know, no one spoke in tongues. It'd been a long, long time, right? So the Holy Spirit falls on them, but it came from Wells. Wells was started by Evan Evans Roberts. Was it Evan Roberts or Evans? And he was like a twenty-something year old with a bunch of other twenty-somethings, and they would meet every single day and pray for God to touch Wells. Very dark nation at the time. Well, before long, it began to, you know, other people start coming, like his mom and their friends, blah, blah, blah. Well, on the night it broke out, they, they get together to pray, and they had been having wonderful, you know, manifestations of the Lord's presence and just, you know, great things, but they weren't content. They wanted a, a, a nation transformed. And so they all get together, and it was like ice cold. Nothing. No presence. No nothing. Just terrible. So all of them went home except for Evan and his friends. And then all of a sudden, they continued to press into prayer. All of a sudden, they start hearing weeping outside. And people that had left were wailing and weeping. And they were coming back to their prayer meeting because when they went home to go to bed, Holy Spirit just fell on them and convicted them that they were experiencing what Jesus experienced the night he was arrested. And they could not watch for one hour and they felt such conviction that they got up, they went back, bam! Revival broke out that night, uh, jails emptied, judges and cops didn't have any jobs. They had to retrain the donkeys that worked in the mines because they had trained them through cuss words and so they would no longer do their their work because they weren't cussing anymore, so they had to retrain them. People paid off debts, families were put back together, people were set free from alcoholism. I mean, it was an incredible thing. But the presence of God, the manifest presence of God, lifted. So now think about this. Jesus' greatest test was when he did not feel him. So you got to know that. Did God leave him? No. But he didn't feel him. Now on the cross, he had to turn away because he couldn't, you know, he couldn't have fellowship with sin because he became sin for us. But in the garden, you can pretty much guarantee that it was as cold, as dark, and as lifeless as any time the Lord would experience except on the cross. So don't ask, where did you go? Ask, oh, oh, okay, there must be a lesson I need to learn. All right, now, okay, so at this point of testimony, when Hezekiah should have glorified God, he did not. He failed his test. He revealed all the wealth God had given to him uh, as a country, and that would later become a superpower and target Judah. Uh, Now, the most dangerous time can can be after a great victory. We should always be humble and wise, no matter what the Lord does for us. His favor is not an indicator that we are special in the sense of being superior to others. It is not a performance-based response from the Lord. It's His goodness, His mercy upon us. I'm not sure it's necessarily just the fact He was healed and the sun was stopped and went backwards. I think the nations bringing Him all this attention and wealth and all that stuff is what gave Him a big head. Okay, now back into um, chapter 20. So in verse 16... Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they will be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord Lord that you have spoken is good, because he thought... Why not? If there will be peace and security in my days, ugh, that crawls all over me. Now, we have to give Hezekiah credit that he knew God was faithful, so he knew exactly what Isaiah said was gonna happen was gonna happen. But you don't even care about your kids. To make this a reality, Daniel was a eunuch. He was never gonna be able to marry, never be able to have kids, Because of Hezekiah. Shadrach, Meshach, Bendigo. All of that happened because of Hezekiah. So, what if he would have repented? I don't know. Maybe the word of the Lord wouldn't have happened. But he didn't. He's like, yeah, you know, God's faithful. He promised me 15 years. I don't care about anybody else. If I could punch him in the nose, I would right now. But anyway, the rest of the deeds of Hezekiah... And in all his might, and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water to the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and now we have Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place, which he was a real winner. But his flippant attitude reveals the pride. Um, People that have a lot of pride, you know, and people fling the term narcissist around a lot. Narcissism is actually a mental health thing. I mean, it's a, you know, a diagnosable thing, but we can say that narcissists only care about themselves and they have a grandiose idea of themselves. They're more special than others. Uh, you know, God favors them more than he does other people. They take their significance from what they do and accomplish versus who God says they are. Everyone can fall prone to pride. But another sign is they could care less about the next generation. There's not a natural affection. There's not a natural caring of what happens to their children and their children's children. It's all about them and what they get in this lifetime. So it's sad because Hezekiah was one of the few kings who brought great political reform to Judah, who stayed the hand of God. And yet at the time when he should have glorified God and what God had done for them, for him, instead, he glorified himself. So, the greatest and most dangerous time for a believer is after victory, after God's used you to perform a great miracle or set of miracles, or maybe He's healed you or delivered you or whatever. That don't don't be. You don't need to fear the enemy actually during that time. You need to make sure your heart's right. You know what I mean? Like everybody's like, oh, you know, the enemy's going to attack me because God has blessed me. No, 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 no. No, you don't need to worry about that. You just need to make sure that your heart stays humble when the Lord begins to show you incredible favor and uh, prosperity. Does that make sense? It's weird cool not having Kathy
1: here, because she... There's a, a lot more to...
0: That's what I was about to say. Richard, do you have something? I
1: do. On the pool, which was some streams of water coming
0: up, mm-hmm.
1: and the conduit, which to us, a little pipe. You know, this was a massive tunnel. that was was used, wasn't it? It's used in a lot of places after this fact. And I think if I got it right, when they were being overrun in Jerusalem, they used that conduit to escape.
0: I think so. I think they did. And we know that they are definitely massive because when Darius took over Babylon, 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 the the whole boast of Babylon is that no one could get past the walls because they're chariots. Could drive on the walls. They'd have chariot races. They had gardens. Yet their water supply, they were able to get, and their whole army was able to get into the city.
1: Yeah, so they, they had, had to be they massive. Had that water, Fresh water. But the archaeologists of, of Israel have uncovered so much of this. Yeah. And it's true if you get to see the videos. And some of it they won't even let a camera into. Yeah. But because there's other things stored in the country. Yeah. The treasures, gold. I know they
0: found David's treasure house, probably in about 2015, maybe because we were still at the conference room, and they found a lot of. I mean, it was amazing. Some of the grain he had, and his uh, some of the gold and his jewels and things.
1: This today is still being recognized today, right now, that conduit, and and Israel does have security on that conduit. I
0: bet they do. Just mm-hmm.
1: for any enemies to get in there, but yeah. You know, <coughs>
0: I've been reading the Watchman um, book over Washington, D.C., and they were talking about when that time where um, President Trump declared Jerusalem to be the capital of Israel, um, which we knew was very important. Uh, But what was happening is the U.N. had a vote that they were going to make the Temple Mount part of Palestine, and they were going to demand that Israel give it up And uh, all of them, except a few little countries in America, said no. And not only that, President Trump went even further and said, not only is our vote no, we as a country declare and agree that Jerusalem is the capital of the nation of Israel. And that right there saved, because they were going to tear down the wall. They were going to tear it all down. It was going to become uh, Palestinian. And uh, so when you think about you know, to this day, the fight over that area. And a lot of it, they try to prove that it doesn't belong to the Jews. That never belonged to the Jews. It's always been a part of you know the Muslim community because they're also descendants of Abraham. And we know from the scriptures that's not true. So all of those things was very important. And so when you saw him over there and then his family putting in prayers in the wall, it was all tied to that. Isn't that neat? And he got the idea from Christians that were interceding that said the word of the Lord is. They need to be declared the capital. Jerusalem needs to be the capital of Israel. And and they had been requesting it all through Obama's term and he refused. So anyway, it's just a neat behind the scenes story, you know, which again I can't figure out why Christians didn't like him as a president. But anyway, we won't even get off on that. You know what I'm saying? I could get off on a whole tangent. But uh Anyway, anything else,
1: Richard? It's just that they're digging up and discovering stuff and verifying scripture after scripture. Yep. After, if, you, if you say, "Well, I don't believe in any of this," well, you believe in science. Watch this stuff. They
0: don't even believe in science I anymore. Know, but it's proving
1: it's proving they're proving scriptures over and over and over and over without yep. trying to prove scriptures, right? Verifying history.
0: Yeah, a lot of those archaeologists don't even believe
1: the they're Bible. Not believers, they. Yeah,
0: even Darwin knows we didn't come from monkeys. Alright, right. well Father, we thank you so much that we haven't come from monkeys. No, just kidding. <laughs>
1: monkey,
0: yeah. Well, Father, monkey pox. Oh man, these people. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And uh, Father, it is such a revelation to know that The withdrawing of your manifest, tangible presence may not necessarily be a sign that we've done anything wrong, but it actually is a sign that we have an opportunity to prove our own hearts to ourselves, that they are loyal, uh, that our heart is humble, that our heart recognizes who is the true source of all success, all power, and all glory, and that is you. And so, Father, I ask that you help us to be attentive, to not... Uh, get in our feelings, get in our emotions and things when it feels like you've withdrawn from us because we know that your word says that you will never leave us nor forsake us, but instead this might be an opportunity to prove our loyalty to you in a tangible way. And so I ask, Father, that you help us recognize those times. I know it sounds strange. The whole point of a test is, you know, you don't know it's a test until the test is over. But with Holy Spirit, we've actually got a, a cheat sheet (laughs) He can alert us. Something's going on. And with your word, it's over and over and over. There's stories of where you withdrew temporarily just to see what was in someone's heart. And we know that you're not looking for answers. You know you're trying to reveal what might be in ours. So I pray, Father, like the, the freedom of not being condemned. The revelation you gave us this morning is when we're in those times of testing, we might feel condemned, and that's not what you're doing at all. You are praying for our triumph. And so I ask that you help us to very clinically and methodically examine, look for those things in our heart that you might be wanting to show us during those times so that we can go even deeper in soul transformation, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. I pray, Father, we never, ever have the attitude that Hezekiah had. That, well, who cares? As long as I've got peace in my time, I could care less. Father, I pray we never have that flippant attitude, but instead, we ask for an impartation of your heart that always thinks generationally. You always keep your word based on generational promises. And so, help us, Father, to leave not only a good thing to our children and our children's children, but also to recognize there is a spiritual inheritance that we can pass down to them, that if we make decisions now, could put that in danger. So we always want to process what is going on in our lives through your word and through how it may impact those that will come after us. And so, Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that can reverse the curse of anything negative that could be passed down to our family. We break that in Jesus' name right now off of our children and our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. <coughs> Father, we thank you that the blood of Jesus can not only uproot and cleanse any bad seed, but also accelerate the seed that's planted that's good to where the reaper is overtaken the sower. So we pray, <coughs> Father, that our ceiling be our children and their, their children's uh, floor, Father. That every generation after goes further and does further <coughs> with uh, you and expanding your kingdom and if there's any in our line that don't yet know you we call them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light remove the veil that they can see the beauty of Jesus Christ that he's not against them that he's not rigid that he's not a judge just waiting to squish them but instead he gave his all everything every ounce of blood he allowed himself to be so marred he did not look like a human for them That's the revelation I want them to have, and that it was your idea, Father, with pleasure. You allowed him, your only begotten son, to be treated that way because of your love for us. You love us the same as you love Jesus Christ. And so I pray that they see that, that you're a good God and you want good things for them. And Father, we want to give our tithes and our offerings to you this morning. We ask that you receive them. Where you're seated in heaven, King Jesus, we give to you as kings, to the king. We uh, pledge our loyalty to you and our finances this morning. We thank you so much for the ability to gain wealth. This past week, we ask that you help us to continue to gain wealth and be a blessing to others and continue to bless those that have a need in the uh, church and even outside. We thank you that inflation has no place in our lives. It cannot touch us because you overcome all things And we know that includes inflation. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.